0: You're thinking, wow, short passage, three verses, really, Chris, a whole sermon on three verses? Yes. Yes. The title of my sermon is Jesus Knows. He knows. And the big idea, the one who made man and became man knows what's in man, right? The one who made man and became man knows what's in man. And who's that? That's Jesus. Um, so I wasn't going to share this, but I, I will. It's funny, and it's, it's actually pretty cool. I, I know a guy. Uh, I went to seminary with him. His name's Brian. He's probably two years my senior. Brian earned the nickname Captain Theology. Now, you don't just get that nickname, right? There's a reason for that nickname. Brian is a genius, like, li- literally. He's a genius, um, high IQ, photographic, memory, well, read. I mean, he read everything. If you came to Brian, and Brian was so sweet, a humble, godly man, he was not arrogant. Okay, so most know it alls tend to be pretty arrogant. Not so, Brian. Brian seemed to know everything if it was related to theology or even missiology, studying, he wanted to be a missionary in Japan. Uh, biblical studies, he knew Greek really well, uh, Hebrew really well, Aramaic really well, and I think he knew Ugaritic, which who wouldn't want to know Ugaritic, really well. So he knew multiple languages. Uh, again, he was the guy that if you're working on a research paper and you need some direction, you knock on his door. His library was vast, and he'd be willing to help you. You could ask him anything, and he could tell you anything about any subject related to biblical studies or theology. But if I said, hey, Brian, can you tell me about the patterns of white-tailed deer in East Texas, What's the difference, Brian, between a taco and a burrito and maybe a chalupa? He would have no idea. Hey, tell me about the Dallas Cowboys. Who's their starting quarterback and what's their record? How are they going to do this year? The who? He was limited in his knowledge, okay? He was not all-knowing. Even though he knew a lot, he wasn't all-knowing. Now, let me ask this question. If you're a know-it-all, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. If you know a know-it-all... Anybody? I mean, they, just, they, they seem to know everything. They think they know everything. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Because it typically involves... I hope you didn't uh, raise your hand. We like you. We're glad you're here. But nobody likes a know-it-all because it typically involves pride and arrogance. But not so Jesus. Amen? Not so Jesus. Jesus, our humble servant king, knows everything. Okay, listen, not just in regards to theology or biblical studies, even though he's the author, he knows everything, okay? And our knowledge of his omniscience should do what? It should do two things. It should cause peace and awe for the believer. Peace in knowing that our king knows everything. He knows everything. He knows what we need. And awe, A-W-E, like wow, because he knows our hearts. Whoa. He knows our hearts. May we, my prayer this morning, is that we would entrust our lives to the one who knows all, and that's Jesus. Now, the context, as always, of our passage is very important. Who thinks context is important? Right, I had a professor say, Jesus is king, context is... Now, this short passage, again, three verses, has much to teach us. Our text falls between the first sign or miracle of Jesus, which we've seen. What was the first sign or miracle? The turning of water into wine. And a very famous passage. It's Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And we'll look at that next week. So between the first miracle recorded in John and this famous interaction between Jesus and In a religious leader is our text, three verses. Now, although the purpose of Jesus' signs, and I'll use signs and miracles interchangeably, okay? Although the purpose of Jesus' signs is to engender faith in him as the Christ, which again, the Christ is the promised king who would rescue and rule over God's people, the presence of signs doesn't guarantee true faith On the part of the one who witnesses the signs. Understand that. Just because someone witnesses the signs of Jesus doesn't guarantee true faith on their part. An example of this is seen in our very next passage with Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus. We're not there yet. We're going to look at it in detail next week. But Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus having either personally witnessed the signs... Maybe, but at least he knows, he's well-versed, he's heard about the signs of Jesus. And yet, it becomes clear in our next passage that Nicodemus lacks a true understanding of Jesus. He's an example of one whose faith Jesus does not trust. Hmm. Jesus knows the hearts of all, Is true. He knows the hearts of all, he knows my heart And he knows your heart. He knows our hearts. As one brother writes, although it is through his signs that Jesus reveals his glory, and though they are the occasion for the disciples' faith, the seeing of signs does not necessarily lead to faith. There's a a clever play on words in our passage. Listen to verses 23 and 24. It says, Many believed in his name. What's the verb? Many what? They believed. Okay, so hold on to that. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That's verse 23. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Now, this is what the Greek literally says, okay? Many trusted in his name, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Many trusted in his name, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Jesus saw their faith as spurious and insincere. Their trust was not trustworthy. Isn't that interesting? Their trust was not trustworthy. Now, why doesn't Jesus trust their faith? I have three points this morning. Number one, the king's knowledge. Let's talk about the king's knowledge. The reason Jesus doesn't trust their faith is provided at the end of verse 24, because he knew all people. Why doesn't he trust their faith? Because he knows all people. What's emphasized in our passage is Jesus' knowledge of man. And this is emphasized twice, once in verse 24 and then again in verse 25. Verse 24, because he knew all people. Verse 25, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, Is that disarming to you? Is that intimidating to you? That Jesus knows everything. He knows what's in a man. It's meant to be disarming. It's meant to be. I want to pause briefly. and I want us to think about this truth. The fact that Jesus knows all people. He knows all people. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything about us. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows what's in a man. Now, why does Jesus know us so well, I wonder? I know the answer. Do you know the answer? Why does Jesus know us so well? Now, again, at the beginning, I said that truth should lead to two responses. Peace for the believer and awe. Peace because we know that he knows everything. Our king, our Lord knows everything. He knows what is, what's to come. He knows what we need, but awe because he knows our hearts. But why does Jesus know us so well? Who's ever thought of that? Why does Jesus know us so well? There are two reasons explained by one doctrine. Two reasons. One doctrine. Say with me. Two reasons. two reasons. One doctrine. All right, we got it. Okay. Here it is. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. This refers to the incarnation of the Son of God. God became Man, or if you want to get real technical, the hypostatic union. Two natures united in the one person, Jesus Christ. He's fully God, and he's he's fully man. Now, as God, listen, as God, Jesus, he made us. Does he know us? Yeah, by virtue of the fact that he, he made us. He designed us. He knows everything about us. But it's more than that. What do we learn in Hebrews 4.15? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. As fully man, Jesus knows everything about humanity experientially. Jesus knows us exhaustively. Not only does he have super knowledge, right, he has this supernatural knowledge whereby he can look into our hearts, but he also has what I want to call empathetic knowledge and that he knows what it means to be human, to suffer, to hunger, to thirst, to feel pain, to feel loss, even temptation. Um, Who's had a really good coach growing up? No, a few of you. Okay, what's that? Who remembers your first coach? Maybe it was your dad. Okay. Let me ask this question. This is a trivia. Astros trivia. I'm looking at one person. What's the name of the coach that just retired? Yeah. Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker. Now, why do you think Dusty Baker was such a good coach? Because he was. He's a great coach, right? Let me, let me explain. Managers, and again, when I say manager, I'm saying a coach. Those are used interchangeably managers who played the game often make the best coaches. Why? Why? Because they're not just an outsider looking in, but they've had experience on the field. Now, a good manager creates a team, right? He creates a team, a winning team. A better manager is one who not only creates a team, but knows what it's like to play on a team. Jesus made Mankind, but he also became man, which gives him the most unique perspective. What is the object of Jesus' knowledge in our passage? Jesus knows whether or not our faith is legitimate. Oh my goodness. He knows. He knows our hearts. He knows whether or not our faith is genuine and true. That's disarming. Now, what is legitimate faith? Because that begs the question, if Jesus knows whether or not our faith is true or legitimate, it begs the question, what then is true faith? That's an important question. What is true faith according to Jesus? And that brings us to point number two. So we've looked at the king's knowledge. Number two, the king's requirement. The king's requirement. To know Jesus and experience his saving work, we must have what? Faith. Okay, we're, we're there. It's faith. You know that, right? You gotta have faith. I'm not referring to a song. And if you don't know what song that is, good for you. What have we learned about faith in John's gospel so far? What is true saving faith according to John's gospel? Two things here, friends. Two things. How many? Okay, two. Dose, two. First, True, saving faith believes the right things about Jesus. Does it matter what we believe about Jesus? In our culture, <laughs> I would say the dominant theory, the dominant way of thinking is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it makes you happy, it makes you feel good, right? You determine truth. That's not what the Bible says. According to the Bible, it matters what we believe, especially about Jesus. So, First, what is true saving faith according to Jesus? First, true saving faith believes the right things about Jesus. It matters what we believe about Jesus. Recall the purpose statement in John 20, 31. John says, what? I've written down, I've included these signs. I've written about these signs so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing that, you may have life in his name. Jesus is God. Jesus is Messiah, the promised king to rescue and rule over God's people. And as we've seen in John so far, I'm just going to summarize chapters 1 and 2. What have we learned about Jesus in John's gospel so far? As we've seen so far in John, Jesus is the greater Passover lamb in John 1:29. He's the greater house of God in John 1:51. He's the greater cause for celebration. That's John 2, 1 to 11. And he's the greater temple in John 2, 19. Do you believe these things? Do you believe these things? That he is the greater Passover lamb, the greater house of God, the greater cause for celebration, and the greater temple. Second, and as Pastor Aaron mentioned earlier, faith follows. Okay, so first, again, we're answering the question, what is true faith according to... Jesus according to John's gospel. First, true saving faith believes the right things about Jesus. So does it matter what we believe about Jesus? Yes. Second, faith follows. True saving faith is evidenced by one's allegiance to Jesus, going where he goes, doing what he says do. And this is seen most clearly with the early disciples in John. They believe the right things about Jesus and they follow after him. Now, where are you? Where are you, I wonder? You know, there's two main camps in John, just like there's two main camps in the world, in reality. There are two camps. Those who believe and those who do not. And Jesus knows what? He knows the heart of man. He knows all things. And remember this. According to Scripture, these two camps and their two responses will result in two diametrically opposed ends. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has life, eternal life. So if you believe in Jesus, you have what? The promise of eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not have life, will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. Okay, So you have faith in Jesus, eternal life. You don't have faith in Jesus, eternal death or separation, hell. Now, where do we see this in John? I want to come back to knowledge. Where do we see this in John? Namely, Jesus' supernatural knowledge of mankind. I want to look at several examples. This is pretty cool. Nathanael. Remember Nathanael? This is Nathanael, one of his early followers, in John 1, 47-49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, Man, how do you know me? he's basically saying, you don't know me. We've never met. We didn't grow up together. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Man, what? Nathaniel answered him. Based on what Jesus said, this is what Nathaniel says in response. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Whoa. And then we come to Nicodemus. Who knew Nicodemus' greatest need? Did Nick know it? Who knew it? Jesus. Jesus answered him. This is John 3.3. Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Who knew Nicodemus' greatest need? Jesus. What about the Samaritan woman? Who knew all about the Samaritan woman? Who knew about her past? Who knew about her idolatrous heart? She would placed men on the throne of her heart, not God. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's like, Whoa! How did you know this? You shouldn't know this. The death of Lazarus. This is John 11, 11 to 15. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, this was before text messaging or emails. How did Jesus know this? How did he know? How did he know? Come on. There were no messenger falcons there in Palestine in the first century. How did he know this? I love what he says our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him not only is he dead but I'm gonna go wake him up the disciples said to him Lord if he's fallen asleep he'll recover now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he might that he meant taking rest and sleep then Jesus told them plainly Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe but let us go to him Jesus knew not only about Lazarus' death, he knew about his own imminent death, right? I mean, he predicts it multiple times. As we get closer to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to me, Jesus says. I'm going to what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. So John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Another example of Jesus' supernatural knowledge, if you're thinking through it, you're like, okay, I've read the Gospels, I know the stories. Oh, Judas. I mean, who knew that Judas would betray Jesus? Who knew? Jesus did. This is uh, John 13, 21 and 25 to 26. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine that? One of you, one of the 12, you're going to betray me. Let's go to verse 25. So that, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? This is John most likely saying, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. One more example, the denial of, who else denies Jesus? Well, all the disciples, right, they scatter. But who specifically denies Jesus and said, he'd never do it. I'll die with you before I do it. Peter. Well, who knew otherwise? Jesus. John 13, 37 to 38, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Will you, Peter? (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me how many times? Three times. Jesus' supernatural knowledge is on display throughout John's Gospel. What does our passage teach us About Jesus, This is always a great question when you're doing Bible study or if you're listening to a sermon. What do we learn about Jesus in our passage? He is God, as revealed or supported by his supernatural knowledge. This is a divine attribute possessed by Jesus, the Son of God. Now, what does our passage teach us about man? And that brings us to our third and final point. We've talked about the king's knowledge. We've talked about the king's requirement. Thirdly, the king's diagnosis. The king's diagnosis. What do we lack by nature? We lack faith. All of us. Look around. All of us, by nature, lack faith. Because we are by nature what? All of us. We're sinners. We learned something very important early on in John's gospel that we'd be wise to revisit. So can we take just a moment to revisit something that we see in chapter 1. This is really helpful moving forward. Again, the king's diagnosis. Man's condition is brought to light in John 1, 5 to 13. Let me explain. What is our condition? How are we doing naturally? We're not doing well, okay? So let me explain from Scripture. The light shines in the darkness, which is our natural state. What is our natural state? What's our home? What do we belong to naturally? The darkness. The light shines in the darkness. We are born in the darkness and therefore in desperate need of the light of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. You know what else we learn in John 1? The world did not know Jesus, even though it was made through him. That's John 1.10. This stands as, I think, one of the most devastatingly ironic passages in the Bible. The fact that the world That God made does not know its maker. How insane is that? Why is that? Because we're what? We're sinners and sin blinds us to the truth. Okay, so we're in the darkness. We don't know the one who made us. And then if you keep reading, this is what you learn. His own people. The Jewish people did not receive him. Even though they were the recipients of the promises and the covenants and the symbols that all pointed to the coming Jesus. So how is mankind described in John 1, 5 to 13? In the dark, ignorant to Jesus and opposed to Jesus. In the dark, ignorant to Jesus and not just ignorant but opposed. Wow, that is a diagnosis right there. Is that a good one or a bad one? You don't want to hear that at the doctor's offices. You're in the dark. You're opposed to Jesus. You're blind to Jesus. Well, man, what hope is there? a sinner like me. According to John 1, 12 to 13, there's there's some good news found in John 1 as well. Those who do believe and receive Jesus are those who have been miraculously and supernaturally born of God to do so. Faith is not something that we can simply muster. No, it doesn't work that way. You You can't do it that way. Faith must be given you understand it must be given. And we're going to see that next week. I cannot wait for next week, the story of Nicodemus. As we'll see next week, we, we don't simply need the miracles of Jesus. We don't simply need the miracles of Jesus or even the testimony of Jesus, but a new birth. To really acquiesce, to grasp the testimony of Jesus, to receive it, we first need a new birth. That is the point of our next passage And it showcases the king's provision to mankind's problem. The Spirit of God works through the gospel of God to move dead sinners to faith in the Son of God. One more time. The Spirit of God works through the gospel of God to move dead sinners to faith in the Son of God. Now why do we need a new birth? Why do we need a new birth? Because we are by nature, we are naturally spiritually dead. The miracle of regeneration, which is a fancy way of saying new birth, the miracle of regeneration must precede or come before our faith. And that is what our passage this morning is preparing us for. And that's what we're going to see next week in more detail. What we'll see next week is that in order to know and trust in Jesus, one must first be born again. Now, I don't want to leave us on a cliffhanger. You're like, oh, you're going to leave us there? Come on, bro. I don't want to end with that. So let me end with this. According to our passage, Jesus knows us exhaustively. He knows our hearts. He knows what's in man. Oh! But how can we know? How can we know whether or not we truly know him? How can we know whether or not we truly know him he knows us he knows our hearts he knows what's in man how can we know whether or not we truly know him now before doing this can i make one more quick point thank you it's really a takeaway from our passage i'm almost done by the way you may be here today and you're no more than a hypocrite what's a hypocrite those are fighting words chris The Greek word hypocrite, you know what it means? It means actor or pretender. Okay, So you may be here today and you're no more than a pretender. You're going through the motions. You're doing and saying the right things. But in your heart of hearts, you know that Jesus is not the Lord and Savior and King over your life. You may think you have everyone fooled. But there is one you cannot fool. Who's that? Who can't you fool? You can't fool Jesus. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. And what's truly there, he'll expose in the end. If that's you, if you're a pretender, I plead with you today to repent. Turn from your sin. Our passage is a warning. It really is. Our passage is a warning. Be warned and run to Jesus. Don't pretend, but prostrate yourself Before Jesus, bow your life before him. Behold him in the word, believe in him and follow after him. Why? Because as we've seen in John one and two, he's worthy. And furthermore, here's another takeaway before we get into those questions as to whether or not one can know that they know him. Be careful where you place your trust. Be careful where you place your trust. Don't entrust yourself fully to humanity but to but to God. No human. Everybody say no human. Now, listen, hear this out. No, I'm not saying don't trust anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But don't fully entrust yourself to humanity but to... Because can humanity save you? No, who can save you? Only the Lord. So again, be careful where you place your trust. Don't entrust yourself fully to humanity, but to God. No human can bear the full weight of your trust because no human is perfectly trustworthy. Humans will let you down. They will. Instead, entrust yourself to the one who is fully man and fully God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. You know, Josh Moody puts it this way. He says, our ultimate and total trust can only really be in God. And we'd say, of course, yes, Josh, good job. Only he and only his promises will never let us down. Amen? That's good. It is only Jesus who is utterly trustworthy and utterly reliable. And at some point or other, remember this, at some point or other, even those nearest and dearest to us will die before we die, or we will die before they die. And trusting ourselves to God rather than to other people means we can love others without putting them on a pedestal or being surprised when we discover that they, like us, are what? Sinners. All right, now let me end with some diagnostic questions to help provide assurance of faith in Jesus, because I left you with this question earlier. How can we know whether or not we truly know him? How can we know? Number one, do you trust in Jesus for salvation from sin and hell? And do you believe that he provided this salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection? Do you believe that? Do you trust in Jesus for salvation from sin and hell? And do you believe that he provided this salvation through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection? Do you believe, number two, the right things about Jesus? Namely that he's fully God and fully man and that he is the Messiah, the promised king to rescue and rule over his people. And number three, are you following after him? Going where he says go and doing what he says do. Are you following after him and have you entrusted your life to him? Three applications and then I'll pray. Knowing, now listen to this friends, knowing that Jesus knows your heart of hearts. Is there anything you need to repent of today? Who knows your heart of hearts? Who? Who knows what's in man? Knowing that, knowing that Jesus, I mean, you can fool me, but you can't fool the Lord, right? You can fool each other, but you can't fool the Lord. Knowing that Jesus knows your heart of hearts. Is there anything you need to repent of today. Number two, knowing that only Jesus is fully reliable and trustworthy. If you know that, entrust your life to him for salvation and eternal satisfaction, peace, and fulfillment. One more time. Knowing that only Jesus is fully trustworthy and reliable. Entrust your life to him for salvation. And number three, Knowing that all mankind is bound by sin and spiritually dead apart from Christ, who can you share the gospel with this week? Again, knowing that all mankind, not just some, but all have sinned, all mankind are sinners, are spiritually blind to the truth, knowing that, who can you share the gospel with this week? Who needs to hear it from you? I was going to summarize those things. I'd say repent, trust, trust. And share. Turn from your sin. Who knows our hearts? Turn from sin. Who's worthy of our lives? Jesus. So trust in him. And who's worthy to be shared with the world? Jesus. So share him. Repent, trust, and share. Repent, trust, and share. Repent, trust, and share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the reminder that God, you in your love, sent your son to come to this fallen, sinful, broken world to be born as a helpless babe, to grow up and to live a perfect life. But ultimately, Jesus, we know that you came to die. You came to live the life that we cannot live. You paid that debt, but you also died because we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. And Jesus, at the cross, you took that punishment in our place, and then you rose again, proving. That what you did worked and all your claims are true. I pray that we would live differently because of that good news. I pray that we would believe that good news. And I pray that we'd share that good news with others. Father, I pray that the knowledge that Jesus knows all would disarm us, would humble us, and would move us to repent of secret sins. I pray knowing that Jesus, you are ultimately trustworthy, would move us to trust in you fully pray that all of us this morning would see that, Jesus, you are worthy, that we would behold you together in your word, believe in you as king, and follow after you with our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.